0: Another word. I double checked. You know, I looked at all of our COVID words entries, and we do not have an entry for patience. Patience. Yeah. Ah. Which, of course, is what is being tested right now. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people. But uh, mobility is also a big word in my lexicon at the moment because it connects up with freedom and it connects up with um, power. There's a sense of you know, if you if you have mobility, then you have power
1: true if you have mobility you have you have options is uh, allows for more expression of creativity without mobility you, you it seems like your options are limited yeah mobility I mean it's very I mean it's easy to see the universal context of it and of course the personal context of it even the bodily context of it is very important you know when you're thinking about those when there's an easy mobility throughout my feeling about myself there's a uh, Confidence in that power, confidence in the ability to do things several different ways. Yeah. To approach an issue from several different sides or to take solutions in several different
0: outward directions. Uh huh. Yeah, and on the obverse side, when you feel a limitation on the mobility sector, then I get a sense of helplessness sometimes or powerlessness Uh or the sense of being trapped. I mean, all those things kind of. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. And then there's immobilized and, I think, paralysis, I think you mentioned a few minutes ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the trapped feeling, the feeling of being bound, you say. It sort of feeds into the powerlessness you mentioned, tied up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you feel immobile. And, you know, it's uh, one of the things that we've experienced, of course, during the the COVID pandemic here for the last, uh, I guess, going on nine months now. We've been very aware of our inability to be mobile in a big way, going somewhere.
0: Yeah,
1: our ability to just to go to decide to go somewhere and just go has been uh, for us startlingly compromised. Uh, obviously, there for if not pandemic reasons, for other reasons in other societies, people, you know, perhaps Middle Eastern countries where there's a, a lot of issues with border issues and stuff like that. And mobility in terms of travel has been a challenge some people for all their lives, but for us not to be able to decide to get up and go, not being able to do that is just downright un-American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we have, I think, of course, found creative ways to deal with the immobility that's been associated with the pandemic, but it wears on you. Yeah. Uh, because you've taken it for granted, you're always, you tend to just automatically strive against that feeling of immobility or inability to travel, inability to move and I think that's where you get exhausted, being in a situation where you don't actually do much because you're constrained, but there's that in you, which is always fighting against
0: that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I see it. Yeah. And because it's this has persisted over months and months and months, now we're getting to the point where people are exhausted. They just give up. They say, well, fuck it. I'll just get infected. Who cares?
1: Yeah. And so a signal perhaps coming from local government, that under certain restrictions, certain businesses may open. People who are in this state of mind go out and see some people sitting on a patio of a restaurant and eating food and stuff. Uh, they're very vulnerable to the thought, erroneous though it may be, that, oh, it, good, we can go out now. They said it. They said it's okay. And we hear that part without all of the caveats that came with it when you're in that exhausted phase. same exhaustion, that, as you said, causes a person to say, oh, Fuck it. If I, who cares if I get it or not? Uh-huh. But some people were really fooled into hearing through their exhaustion that it's it can be okay to go to the restaurant with your six friends. So go ahead. And that just bleeds over into other things. Going to the beach, having a party, adding 10 more people to the wedding list. Uh-huh. And of course, the aftermath of all these things we've seen on the news. But yeah, there's something in us that won't be constrained. A basic urge... That is anti-constraint, yeah. anti-immobility.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's a, which, if we study our nature, as really an energy converter and a process that is limitless in its personal applications. That that being real nature, what we really are as human beings, then uh, it makes patience hard for us to learn. Because, <laughs> so patience, I think. In the human being, the envelope-pushing member of the chain of critters on the planet is sort of like an acquired taste, or something that you have to learn as a way of relating properly to your environment. It seems like it has to be a learned behavior, while as the there's something more primal about getting up and going.
0: Yeah, and your point about the innate nature of ourselves reminded me of the, something you said a couple of weeks ago about the uh, person who's hitting uh, F sharp instead of F on the keyboard when they're playing a ah. the chord and the teachers about ah. to rip out their eyeballs and ah. um, it's the correct note the notes is filled with harmony that is trying to make itself heard and in the same way I get the sense that our innate sense of boundlessness ah. is is in the same way in this situation is is we're driven mad by the fact that it's trying to make itself known and and we can't somehow get there to see it
1: yeah. But it's that quality that's the real source of our pulling our hair out.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: the misplaying of the note and the sense of immobility are really not what's really going on. That's because they're not the reality of the situation. They have no life of their own because the life that the situation is given comes from the harmonic that is universal and that sense of us, which, as you said, is universal. Yeah, similar situation. And patience, challenged though it may be to us, Learning patience, I think, has to do with learning the acceptance of that boundlessness, the acceptance of that boundlessness in us so that we don't have to prove it by physically getting on an airplane and flying somewhere. We don't have to prove it with stuff in a material sense. What we need to do is accept that nature of our identity. When we accept it fully, our boundlessness, then patience is easy, it would seem to me, because the thing that we strive for in our impatience is already ours. Yeah. But that's an exercise in, in changing your consciousness of yourself, your attitude of yourself.
0: Right, right. To get your state of mind to the point where you can see the presence of the boundlessness that's trying to be heard. Yeah. And uh, seeing that in our consciousness. And people maybe listen to these words and they think, oh, what a bunch of intellectual hooey, you know. Yeah. But the fact is that the only world you know is in your consciousness. The, the world that you know is your world and that's where these changes happen and and if you do succeed in changing your consciousness and perceiving the presence of boundlessness as your own reality that's your world and it comes through loud and clear
1: yeah and you feel it i mean it it feels just as real as you know stubbing your toe on the bed in the morning (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah in other cases we know this we know that uh, how we use our words you know, and certainly they can be used in just an intellectual sense, which is just light narrative or an argument that's going nowhere or whatever. But when we use our words with awareness, with a real sense of paying attention to the words we use, that consciousness that, that our world is, you know, your, your world is your consciousness, my world is my consciousness. It's, it's your words, too. Those are the windows to the meaning of it all. There's, that's the path in. hmm so that when we talk about things that maybe seem intellectual at one level, when we've spent some time really working with our words, we realize that they are windows that can open into some very deep and seemingly instinctual things about ourselves.
0: Right. Wordless things.
1: Yeah. Uh, there are they're wordless things under and back of words. And so we use the words to, as I say, open the window to get at get at meaning. And then when we by opening that window and stirring up that very deep place, when we start associating those words with a different viewpoint, the change in viewpoint, with a shift in our consciousness then the meanings at a very under underlying level, meaning shift, because there's kinship there, there are things connected there. And it's not intellectual at that point. It's not even words at that point. It's a moving, stirring, you know, phantasmagoria of symbolic image and various things. But that's where my world comes from as far as I'm concerned. That's what makes it look like it does to me. And when we can come to accept limitlessness, for instance, really accept it and accept its deeper implications, then, as I say, we are, we are somatically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, tonally, resonantly, <laughs> inseparable
0: mm-hmm.
1: from that new understanding.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's then what our world looks like.
0: Right. And the, the way that our world resonates. Yes. Yeah. Resonates.
1: In the beginning
0: was the word, and the word was resonance. Right.
1: Elliot Dursoff sent around an email to, he's in, he's in the men's group that I belong to, and he sent around an email to the members of the group calling on anyone who is a veteran in the, in the Prosperous Technique translation, asked them to if they wanted to, to send him some of their tips for using the translation technique. Elliot gets these ideas from time to time. I'm not sure what motivates him. He, he probably pops up at 4 a.m. in the morning saying, I'm going to send an email to everybody and ask them for the tips that they can offer people in, in, in using the, the practice of translation, you know, the school teachers. And I sort of thought for a minute, just sort of thought, what tip would I give someone about translating? Just off the top of my head, what would be one of the first things that came to mind? Something I came up with as a result of just doing the practice and found was could be helpful. And it's interesting that this morning when I read his email, the first thing that bounced right in my head is because, we, you know, we write out our translations. And sometimes when we're not, we don't have something to write with or we're in the car or we're doing something else, we speak out our translations. And it occurred to me, and I'll, I'll reply back to him when I get ready to answer the whole email, that one of the tips that I found very helpful is writing and verbalizing the translation at the same time. That is, say whatever, what I'm writing on the paper. Yeah because there is a resonance to it all that can be helped in the association of the resonance with a particular word and then the next layer of words that you come to, et cetera. Yeah, that's great. It empowers the whole thing in a different kind of way. It reaches out and grabs it from different dimensions. So yeah, in a, in a way, the in the beginning was the word, because everything is resonance.
0: Yeah, and there is this whole tradition of speak the word. Uh-huh. So, so speaking it out loud is, has a power to it, and I totally—I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and that's in a way—it's—it's a, it's a calling forth, right? You're you're calling uh-huh. forth this this axiom that you've come to. You're, you're calling forth the principle that you know to be there.
1: Right. Yeah, it broadens and and, uh, and really adds a different layer of life to your experience of the of the revelation that you come to. And saying that fifth step as you write it out, i has got some juju. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they do, they do written and they do verbally, but saying out the thing you're writing as you're writing it is, yeah, really ups the ante. Uh-huh. And what that can do if you're translating, say, mobility, is that, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about the idea of uh, how mobility can be such a factor from a somatic experience point of view. Mobility or immobility in your body and all of the effects that has. Yeah. So the idea of calling forth mobility orally while you conclude about it in the written form, it really changes the somatic experience.
0: Right. And can be enormously freeing. Mm-hmm. And that can lead you to truly no patience.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no patience. Exactly. Exactly.